Hello, everyone. I'm Phineas Crow, and this is Postmodern Crisis. Today, I'm going to talk a little bit about relationships. I got into a relationship very early in recovery after 12 years of abstaining for the most part. And I say abstaining, and some of that was forced and some of that was my decision. I didn't want a relationship with the kind of people who would have a relationship with me while I was drinking and using. So I mostly avoided relationships because anybody who I wanted to be with didn't want to be around somebody who was wasted all the time. So it was about, it was somewhere between 10 and 12 years. Uh, I don't know when, when you get up into the, when you know you've hit the decade mark, you stop really keeping count. So it was quite a few years in which I definitely didn't engage in any kind of relationship. I, I was working from home. I was in prison. There, there were a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, I definitely didn't get into a relationship in prison, but there were a lot of factors that contributed to keeping me alone. The majority of which just came down to, I was pretty much a loser and didn't really have the wherewithal to get involved in a relationship, and they interfered with my drinking, so I mostly avoided them. I had relationships prior that actually would have been successful had I ever been able to sit off the sauce, but I wasn't ever able to. And so in, in dating the bottle, I wasn't interested in other people. So when I got serious about sobriety, I moved and I got into a sober living environment, and I wanted to start looking again. And so I did what any brilliant person in the modern era does, which is I went online. That's not necessarily bad. You, <laughs> I have a lot to say for it and a lot to say against it. Uh, I did get into a long-term relationship as the result of it and previously had one other relationship that was long-term that I found them online. So it's not necessarily a bad place. And I wouldn't say either of the people I found were as crazy as some of the internet denizens that you can drum up, but it still can be a risky environment because trying to ascertain whether or not a person is a good match from a few photographs and a little blurb, the likes of which is usually, I like camping and, and my dogs are my kids and, and I like to hike and I like the outdoors and I'm very outgoing and laid back and I'm fun and yes, and, and a person just lists off a lot of, a lot of things that they are, uh, and it doesn't really give you a good idea of their personality. So, it's a crapshoot. You're mostly just swiping right and then trying to figure it out from there. In getting into a relationship, now I'd been, I'd moved and had been sober for about a month when I got into the relationship that I'm in now. That was not necessarily a bad decision. A lot of people in alcohol recovery will tell you you shouldn't get into a relationship for at least the first year. You still don't know who you are. It's going to it's going to send you into a tailspin and you'll ultimately drink again or use again. And so stay away from relationships just because they're an emotional minefield. There's there's a lot of feelings that come up that that have nothing to do with you and have everything to do with this other person and trying to intertwine your lives when you're trying to figure out your ass from a hole in the ground. And it's it's a complicated process. It really just makes sobriety harder. It's trial by fire. It really is. It's or baptism by fire, perhaps. If you can do it and can get through it, then you can end up learning a whole lot about yourself all at, all in a big clump. On the other hand, if you do it badly, it causes a lot of problems and those problems can lead you to relapse again and again, as I did. 
throughout the the span of my relationship. One of the first things that became apparent as I got as I got as I re-entered the dating world was that and it didn't become apparent to me right away. It took months of doing it wrong and just doing it at all for me to realize that I was an emotional abuser. That's that's a tough thing to admit because I didn't feel at the time like I was unjustified in my actions. I might have never hit her uh, or come anywhere close to hitting her, but I was still lying and manipulative and cruel in my own way, uh, in, in a way that is destructive and scarring to my partner and to myself, really. And so so in being an emotional abuser, it, it was difficult. And it, that's a difficult thing to, to determine about yourself because you don't know. You feel like you're in the right. You feel like what you're doing is justified and vindicated. And if the other person would just learn, it would just learn to be better and stop being a hypocrite, then, then you could teach them how to be better in the relationship and then the relationship will be perfect. That's not the way it works. Not in reality, not at all. The only way a relationship gets better is when you can accept the other person instead of trying to change them or alter them or control them. Uh, it's honestly, after a fashion, when you stop caring about your partner, that relationships can get better. If you have abusive tendencies. If you care too much about what they're doing, what they're thinking, who they're seeing, if you're the jealous type. And that that's a cute way of saying it, saying you're just the jealous type. That's that's not acceptable in a lot of ways, especially if you're an addict, because you will take those destructive tendencies out on the other person and on yourself. Odds are pretty good anyway. Let me, I want to take a moment and read you something, and this is kind of embarrassing, but I think it's important to note that this is what I wrote when I was dead sober, and and our one of our, during one of our breakups, because of course we go through the, we went through the makeup breakup cycle for a long time. It, it was about once a week that we were breaking up, because Two people, the kind of person who becomes an addict and the kind of person who is attracted to an addict both have severe emotional damage. Uh, and that's 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 perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with having emotional damage. Everybody has baggage and, and luggage and is a little bit broken. That's fine. It, but you put those people together and you end up with a lot of chaos. Uh, so we ended up breaking up over and over again because both of us thought we were right and we were vindicated and we were justified in our actions. And the other person just wasn't seeing our point of view and wasn't respecting us and blah, 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 blah. There was a lot of problems with how we viewed ourselves. Uh, and that's as individuals. That has nothing to do. That's before you even talk about getting into the relationship. But anyway, after one of our breakups, I had written this kind of kind of treatise on what I wanted out of a relationship and the kind of partner I wanted to be. So I'm going to read that to you. Like I said, it's not I wouldn't. <laughs> it's not something I would pen today, but it is what where my mind was, and it's very stream of consciousness. So. This, maybe you'll hear some of yourself in here, but this is where my mind was at when, when I started thinking about what I really wanted out of a relationship and out of myself in a relationship. It's called What I Want. And uh, you, can, you can read this on my blog, Phineas Crow, Life of Phineas Crow off of Tumblr, if you give a damn. I don't, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But um, what I say is, I want to be someone who respects and love their, loves their partner at all times and shows that love by not lashing out at them, saying or doing things that are intentionally hurtful. I want to be an honest partner who tells my companion everything, however painful, because they deserve the truth. I want to be a partner who accepts the flaws of my partner as they accept my flaws, and I want to work together to help, love, and support each other as we work on our various problems and issues in an atmosphere of love and understanding. We're all broken, and I want my partner to feel accepted and feel like they could come to talk to me about anything and everything at any time. I want them to never feel judged by me and wholly accepted in anything and everything they do, think, and feel. I want to be a present partner, no matter what my moods, 
and cognizant of the delicate gift of their love and how easily that gift can be crushed. I never again want to be a partner who crushes that. It's so tender and wonderful that to destroy it because of my will or my moods is not the kind of person I want to be. That betrayal is horrific and should never be endured at the hands of someone who claims to love you. I want to always respect the needs of my partner, even if I don't agree with those needs. I want to approach them with compassion, and I want to approach their needs and feelings with a compassion, because they are being vulnerable to me when they show me their inner life, and I can damage them. I should respect that and cherish that because it is the most wonderful gift a person can receive. I want to be the kind of partner who isn't a constant source of fear. I want to be a constant source of support, especially when we are fighting or arguing or disagreeing. I want to be humble and listen to them, to hear and understand what they are saying, and to be emotionally available to them so that they can feel my support. I never again want to be contemptuous of my partner's needs, wants, or their feelings. I want to be a safe haven from the otherwise vicious world, as I have found safe haven in them. I want to be a font of compassion and joy, to love them as I am loved in return and help them stave off the suffering of the world. I never again want to be the cause of that suffering due to selfishness. I never wish to put my needs ahead of theirs. That isn't to say my needs aren't important, but so are their needs, and mine should never eclipse theirs. They should never again be ignored or disdained due to my moods. They should be included in those moods with kindness and respect so that we can help each other through them. I want them to come to me when they are in pain or joy so we can share it, not shun me because I have caused it or because they fear what I may do. I want to be a partner that loves and shares everything with the other person, without judgment or hurtful words or actions. When I disagree or am discontent with my partner, that is when I most need to speak to them with respect and kindness, because that is the time when I am least likely to. I want that to be the time that I give them the best of my, att my attention and hear them so that we can move forward together, growing and changing as a new combined entity, not as individuals coping on their own. That is a relationship of isolation, and it isn't the environment I mean to create. I want us to grow when we disagree and learn from each other, never blaming or trivializing the other, but seeing a new way of thinking and adding it to our own to create something new and wonderful. I want to always give my partner the benefit of the doubt and to give them trust, because if I do not trust them or give them cause to trust me, that is a breach that is not easily, if it can ever be, repaired. Like their love, trust is tenuous and easily violated, and I never again want to be the one who violates that. I also never want to treat them with suspicion or mistrust, because that is a betrayal as well. When I fail, I want to fail with my partner, not against them. When I am feeling badly about myself, I want to share that with them and have them share their fears and insecurities with me so that we can share everything fully and totally. I hope to never again be the cause of their insecurities, but to offer them a salve and to let my love help them through those times, never to cause them. I want them to live their own life and share it with me as they choose. I want them to feel excited when they see me to tell me about their day so that we can celebrate or mourn together. I want my partner to feel heard when they speak and understood. I never again want to try to change their feelings or discount them merely because I don't agree. I want to learn from our differences, not to try to change them, only to help them change into what they want in whatever way they need. I want many other things too, but that is the beginning. I am an emotional abuser, and I have failed at all of these things. I hope to never do so again. Okay, so, yes, that, that's, that's a lot of maudlin, mawkish, 12-year-old girl ram rambling. And uh, so, so, you know, I come by it naturally and honestly. But that, that's essentially the, the crux of, I was looking to be, I, I had this I idealized version of relationships. And I think we all, to a degree, have an idealized version of relationships. My, my idea 
and I was talking to a friend of mine in recovery, and he we were talking about about my difficulties with relationships, and we all the the one thing that really trains us in relationships, if we're if we're looking to get into a monogamous relationship or the same kind of relationship that our parents had, usually male female, but whatever kind of relationships our parents have, and whatever I you mean when you say your parents. Usually they're our only example of how a romantic relationship is supposed to work. It's not like we see it out in society. Granted, we also see romantic relationships on television and, and in movies, which are completely inaccurate portrayals of it. So now we have our parents, which are usually broken and damaged people, who have a broken and damaged relationship. And as an addict, mine were spectacularly broken. Or we have these idealized fictional versions of relationships that come to us through pop music and come to us through through the, the mind of writers rather than what actually works. So we're given absolutely no idea of how to make a healthy relationship work typically. And I definitely didn't have, I didn't have the first clue. I had this idea that somehow I would be the perfect partner and I would find the perfect person and we would settle down and have the perfect life together. And it just doesn't work like that. Uh, to say relationships are a lot of work is, is one thing, but to see what a goddamn nightmare they are uh, a lot of the time is a, is a whole other beast. So I didn't have any idea of really how to be in a relationship. My previous relationships were abysmal all because of me that's it is is they the other party might have been somewhat culpable I, and I'm, I'm a big believer in if a relationship fails yes it's both parties fault but but I have to own the blame for a lot of it because that that onus was on me man I I uh I was thrown out of high school because I threatened my girlfriend then with a knife and that was before I ever started drinking or using that was yeah that was done stone sober I had another relationship, and all my relationships after that were while I was inundated with alcohol. And it's impossible to be a really good partner while you're intoxicated all the time. Um, because, because you are, addicts and alcoholics are hyper-selfish beings. The disease makes us that way. So I had a lot of bad relationships. I had, I had bad examples that led to bad relationships. And this friend I was talking to said, we have to relearn everything. And we have to first forget everything we think we know about relationships and then relearn it. Now, if your parents have a great relationship and set a good example of how two people should be together, spectacular. You already have a pretty good example, and that gives you a pretty good kind of innate barometer of how relationships are supposed to work. Unfortunately, most of us don't have that barometer. A lot of us grow up in broken homes and, and unhappy homes and abusive homes, and that's, that's especially true if you're addicts, but everybody's family has drama and issues and problems. So being an emotional abuser and growing up in an emotionally abusive household, I didn't, I didn't know how to interact with another person, really, especially not in a romantic capacity. I wanted to control them, and I wanted to manipulate them. I did all kinds of nonsense. Like, my, I, I, I was one of those guys. I, like, I didn't go through my girlfriend's phone but I did I did go through her her Facebook account and I would I would monitor her uh, her interactions with her friends and find out what she was saying about me and I would I would go through her emails and and yeah crack into her email account so that I could so that I could see what what she was saying to other people and and make sure she wasn't seeing anybody else and yeah so it was a lot of nonsense and that had to do with the chaos that was going on in my own head uh, and she definitely didn't deserve any of that she for the most part is a very trustworthy person who who yes just doesn't really have the time or the inclination to lie to me about about what's going on and the problem was in in doing all those things I was actually pushing her away because you don't you don't really want to know everything about your partner and everything they're saying about you behind their back, it, it, 
it seems to give you a leg up, but it also makes you suspicious. And it made me feel just kind of janky. So, so I had that going on. Anyhow, so I'd gotten into this relationship very early in recovery. And in saying don't get into a relationship, people, you're locking yourself off from an experience. Granted, I'm going to say you'll probably have a lot better time. Early recovery from drugs and addiction is hard enough. So if you're struggling with that, getting into a relationship is, is, adds exponentially to the problem. You end up having to face not only your difficulties just alone as a person with a substance problem, but as a person with a person problem. So you can't, oh, your Lord, it's, it's a mess. And on top of which, almost every addict or alcoholic, as well as a lot of normal people, have codependency problems. And this, I think, is a big factor in, in many lives. Very few people understand what codependency really means. We, that word gets thrown around a little bit, but codependency really comes down to the clinical definition of codependency is relying on other people for your emotions. And that means that means and so codependency is is if you need approval from others to feel good, if you need your boss to pat you on the head to have a good day and and you end up feeling badly if customers are rude to you or if your spouse or significant other or even your friends just don't feel like talking to you, if that causes you a lot of insecurity, you have codependency issues. That's codependency is just looking to others to provide your emotional state. Now, granted, we all have to react to other people, but we're still solely responsible for our emotions. A lot of our feelings are a choice in, in how we interact with them and how we, how we feel them and how we show them. And, and that sounds, don't get me wrong, it can be overwhelming. Emotions can be overwhelming. And a lot of us, especially addicts, and I know I for a long time, for most of my life, if not all of it, I felt like I had no control over my emotions, except to repress them. That was the one move I could make is I could mash my emotions down and, and smash my anger under a, under a big bucket of denial. But rarely did I actually have control over my emotions. And what that, role, what that boils down to is being able to interface with your emotions on a human level, being able to decide whether or not, because you're going to have the emotions and you're going to have the thoughts tied with those emotions. You don't control those things, or I don't control those things. And if you do, bully for you. But most of us and the people I've had experience with don't control those things. Which means we have thoughts and we have feelings that we can't control, but we don't have to interact with those thoughts or feelings. I have found that the best way is to try to create distance. You can have the feeling go, I am angry about this, but then you can ask yourself and you have to create a little distance and that's what it is. It's, it's trying to create a gap and that, and yeah, we'll talk about that later on. We'll talk about creating the emotional gap. But, but you can choose whether or not to interact with those feelings. You can say, okay, I acknowledge that I'm frightened or I acknowledge I am angry. Now is the time to kind of do nothing but let that feeling happen. And that was a big thing with me in alcoholism is, is I wanted to repress my feelings. I wanted my feelings to go away. The problem is you never, the only way, the only way past them is through them, unfortunately. And at least at first, I had to just sit in a room and feel as shitty as I was going to feel, or I had to go to work and feel as shitty as I was going to feel, and just let the emotions happen, and try to be nice. I would, I would, you, you kind of have to make, I had to make deals with myself, just, just, okay, don't take it out on anybody, don't lash out at anybody, just let these feelings happen, and try to, try to just disassociate from them, try to let them go. This is where this is where a lot of people will turn to prayer and I'm still an atheist 
But I will say, if you can figure out how to turn your feelings over to something bigger than yourself, so that because look, you can't control them, you can't deal with them. And if you let them overwhelm you and don't figure out how to turn them over to something else, how to use them as a conduit, how to do something with them and feel them normally and don't let them just don't let the dam just break every time there's a little crack in it then then you're just going to get swept away by your feelings time and again so you whatever whatever your coping mechanism is uh, and a lot of people cognitive behavioral therapy is good for this and we'll discuss that uh, at a future time as well but so you have to in having to cope with these overwhelming feelings codependency comes up and becomes even more destructive because now you're you have these feelings that you think belong to other people that you think are caused by other people's actions other people's input other people's words other people's thoughts other people's whatever or even if it's not other people it's the world at large i often felt like the universe was just out to screw me even though even though i was a fairly blessed person and fairly lucky in a lot of ways i still felt that the entire cosmos had been constructed solely for the purpose of fucking my life up and that that was that's the kind of victim mentality that a lot of us can end up uh, end up with is just feeling like everything's out to kick our ass so what i had to learn to do is stop relying on other people and other things and circumstances um, people places things circumstances situations i had to stop relying on those things to change who i was those things shouldn't those things may cause moods to be good or bad but it's how i react to those moods it's how i react and interface with my feelings and my thoughts that that keep me in control of my actions and my behaviors. Those those thoughts, those feelings, they're going to happen. And that's, it's like uh, they'll, they'll tell you in Buddhism, it's not that the, the Buddha who is serene, it's not that he feels nothing, it's that he feels everything, but doesn't need to pick up those thoughts. Our thoughts and feelings, they're, they're a bunch of stones, man. They, they really are. They're, they're a bunch of problems that we will end up carrying around, that end up weighing us down if we choose to carry them. We're going to have them and they're going to happen but we don't have to pick them up. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. And until you until you figure out what way works for you, it will feel counterintuitive. But like I said, you, we'll, we'll discuss some of the methods for picking up and dropping emotions later. But in feeling like this other person, this, this relationship was causing a lot of my bad moods and this person was hurting my feelings, then, then I blamed her for, for those issues. And that, that comes up, that can be anybody. It doesn't have to be a relationship. Your friends can be your boss, your whomever. Whoever you have in your life can be the impetus that sets off your emotional turmoil. And the problem there is not them. They're going to do what they're going to do and be what they're going to be. You can't change that or alter that. No matter how hard you try, they're still going to keep doing the same wrong goddamn thing. No matter how good you are at manipulation, you can only control people to a certain degree. And, and a lot of times it's going to fucking blow up in your face. So your best bet is then to learn how to control your own feelings and how you react to people. If you're angry a lot of the time to to a degree that is harmful and hurtful, then then you need to figure out how to cope with that anger and how to deal with it. And I was an exceptionally angry person. I walked around pissed off. I was I burned at like a 6 or 7 every single day when I got up. And and most days it was closer to an 8, 9, 10. Yeah, there was there was a lot of that. I was just I was a fucking time bomb. That's just what I was. So so in doing that in walking around with that mentality, I was I was a danger to myself and I was a danger to others and I was always on the brink. I was always living on the brink because I was ready to just erupt. 
Uh, and with me, that, that turned into a lot of self-destruction, but it also turned into a lot of hurtful words and a lot of hateful statements and a lot of I'll fucking kill you kind of kind of conversations with people who I was purporting to love. So so that's that's what emotional abuse does. And really, that's that's what real codependency looks like is blaming other people for your feelings to the point that you erupt at them. And a lot of people who turn into physical abusers have that same codependent bend is they think they it's like that statement. I, he loves me. I just make him so angry sometimes. Another person can't make you angry. They can do things that are really stupid and thoughtless, and they will on a daily basis, I guarantee. It's how you react to it that, that allows you to, that makes you, allows you to choose whether or not you're angry. And you can still choose. That's the beauty part is later on, once you kind of overcome some of that codependency, I found that it was it was easier to stop blaming other people and and really stop blaming the universe and stop blaming anybody. Just go, okay, the feeling is just the feeling and it just is going to do what it does. I don't need to pick it up. I don't need to get angry and I don't need to fucking react to it. So that that helped me to a great degree. But in getting into a relationship, the problem there is you have certain expectations. And so I had all these sick examples of broken relationships, and I had all these expectations of what a good relationship was supposed to look like, and all these little whiny thoughts that I was that I was putting down about, about what a marvelous partner I wanted to be, and how good they were supposed to be, and how good everything was supposed to be as we skipped through the fucking daisies. That's, that's just not the world. Uh, so, so in getting into a relationship, the hardest part is unlearning what we think we know about them. And really, I've found the greatest way to get into a relationship uh, in recovery, out of recovery, whatever, is when you don't necessarily have, they're, they're not your everything because they just can't be. No person can live up to those expectations. Trust me, you don't meet your own expectations. I damn sure never met any of mine. And so when you expect somebody else to just be a good partner, you're going to get screwed over every time because your definition of a good partner and their definition, my definition, they're all completely different. Seven billion people on the planet and everybody has a different idea of what being a good partner means. And and we're all pretty much hypocrites. I know I certainly was. I, I almost always would get angry at things the other person did, which was more about me than it was about them. So if, if you are thinking of getting into a relationship in early recovery, it's not bad. It's difficult. It's going to add a lot of problems to your recovery. If you're thinking about getting into a relationship, okay, and here's the thing. We'll talk about codependency later, but odds are really, really good. If you feel like you need a relationship of any kind, odds are pretty good that you have codependency problems. And if you catch yourself having expectations of people and being disappointed in other people's behaviors and, and actions and feel those affect your mood, you probably have codependency issues as well. And that's fine. That's cool. Lots and lots of people do, but it's something to be aware of. It's something to recognize. And that's the hardest part in any relationship, friend, family, whatever, is recognizing you're not going to be able to control the other person ever you're they're never going to give you what you want they're never going to be good enough or be right or whatever they're your your mother's always going to annoy you your father's always going to be an idiot you're whatever it is you're always going to have some of those issues with other people the difference is getting caught up in it because those those are their bullshit and you do not need to interface with it. If your mother's hypercritical all the time, if your father wants to tell you you're, what you're not living up to and how you're not reaching his expectations, man, that's their damage. And you need to leave that shit on them um, because it's not your problem. But you also don't need to pick it up and try to change them, and push them around. That's going to that's going to waste a lot of your time and energy. Uh, it's easier to just let it go and just just 
figure out how what it takes for you to let it go, what it takes for you to drop it. And usually you have to sit there and actively train yourself to go, okay, you know what? Can't change this. I'm going to pray to God that he change it. I'm going to talk to the universe and tell it to fix that son of a bitch. Or you just have to cognitively reframe. So we'll talk about all of that later on. But that's that's a little bit on, on uh, getting into relationships and early recovery. Um, again, I guess this is, and this was, oh, these are getting so rambling and meandering. So if you want to reach out and contact me, you can reach me at phineascrow at gmail.com. That's Phineas, P-H-I-N-N-E-A-S, crow, C-R-O-W, at gmail.com, all one word. It's Phineas with two N's. I probably don't need to keep saying that. Or you can reach me at Phineas Crow on Twitter, facebook.com slash Phineas Crow. I'm, I'm pretty easy to find anywhere. You can also track me down if you want to check out my book, Necromancer's Guide to Modern Life on Amazon. Then just look for Phineas Crow or the Necromancer's Guide to Modern Life if you're interested in some of my bullshit when I write it down instead of just say it into my little microphone. This has been Postmodern Crisis. Good luck out there. <laughs>